0: to action's antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. There's a certain common story that I've actually heard a bunch of times in different forms. And that's a story where someone who is both curious and observant identifies a need and finds a way to fill that need using something about their unique talents. These stories vary in the exact topic. Certain specifics are always going to be different from person to person, but there are some commonalities amongst all these stories. One of them is, of course. As I mentioned before, being observant, being curious, and looking at what's around you and responding to experiences, both your own and the experiences of others. The other is taking some form of leap of faith, some sort of leap, some sort of believing in yourself. My guest today, Tanika Johnson, started her own service called Cardinal College Planning, which is a service... In a topic that I would never thought of myself. And this is one of the things I find so amazing about hearing all these stories, some of which are on my previous and will be in my future podcast episodes, is that it's oftentimes something that I would have never thought of. But as soon as I hear what's happening, I'm like, wow, this really makes a lot of sense. And this is something that needed to be done. So Tanika, welcome to the show. And thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Definitely. We're excited to have you here. And First of all, just to orient our audience, I know college planning can be a really daunting task. I think almost everyone remembers the process of submitting applications, getting the letters of recommendation from the right people, having the right extracurricular activities. What does cardinal college planning do for the teenagers and parents that you work with?
1: Yeah, definitely a daunting procedure for sure. So Basically, since it is kind of overwhelming and stressful, I advise families through all of this stuff. If I start working with families and they're a little younger, it's gotten even more crazy and competitive than it has. I say I'm 30. When I went to college, it wasn't this crazy yet. And every year after, it seems like it gets more difficult. So now it's a matter too of making sure you're choosing the right classes as early as ninth and 10th grade so that you can get in the ones in 11th and 12th grade. So that when you go to apply, they're seeing that you took the courses you needed for their say, competitive business program. I work with a client earlier. That's a huge thing that I do is course recommendations. Like you said, um, mm-hmm. adding over those extracurricular activities, won't get too much into detail, but there's not like a right or wrong, but kind of guiding students through their passions and, and finding activities that they want to do, but are also going to look good for their applications. And then the big thing is researching the schools. I'm sure we'll get a little bit more into this, but part of why I got into this was realizing students were applying to the same few schools that they knew locally over and over and over. When there's Mm -hmm. literally thousands of institutions in our country, there could be amazing fits somewhere else that if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. Definitely. Researching the schools with them. And then a big thing is just their applications and a big passion of mine personally is maximizing financial aid and making sure people aren't making these risky decisions. I've seen families dipping into retirement and taking on $200,000 of debt. I kind of try to teach them how to break that cycle. And it doesn't need to be that way, basically.
0: Oh, wow. So this has definitely changed since your time, definitely since my time. How early do you start working with kids? Are they starting this program as early as ninth grade, eighth grade?
1: I've only taken on as young as ninth grade and more commonly, I would say sophomore year, just because some people don't even know that these services exist that early on. But there are definitely plenty of consultants out there that take on an eighth grader for that reason. I was kind of saying, well, just from the start, let's make sure you are even getting in the right classes ninth grade year. So yeah, a lot of consultants start as early as eighth grade. I fight with my value system a lot on that, Mm -hmm. where I know that there is benefit to that. But also, like I said, my values of let them be kids, let them have a fun first year of high school without already dumping the pressure of college on them. So there's a little give and take both ways, but yes, it can start as early as eighth and ninth grade year, but more commonly it is more like a sophomore, junior year to start the process for most families.
0: And for your families, for your clients, what prompts them to approach you and start college planning? Is it usually the teenager that approaches you? Is it usually the parent? Is it a combination of both?
1: Yeah, it's usually the parent, I think, because not that they have to, but often parents are thinking they have some kind of responsibility in footing, at least part of the bill, when they see those price tags that we know colleges are, (laughs) I mean, it's ridiculous, as we all know, these days, the prices, I think that fear, honestly, starts this process, again, since either maybe the parents didn't go themselves, or again, even if they did go, both situations don't matter, because it's not the same anymore. So whether they won or didn't doesn't really matter. It's totally different. And I think as it starts happening again, picks up that sophomore, junior year, they start hearing things, other families, this kid, the teachers, whatever, they start realizing like, oh goodness, I have no idea what to do. I don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. So I think often it's the parents. Students love having someone that they can go to for questions and get everything answered. And that's awesome. But I definitely think parents are the ones that definitely find me first because mm-hmm. they're I think hopefully making sure everything's set up for their students and making sure they don't have to pay anything more than they have to.
0: If it is mostly the parents or more commonly the parents that are approaching you, how much of the motivation behind it is this astronomical cost of education these days? Because that can be really intimidating. And I feel like it's more than double what it was when I went to college.
1: Yeah, I think it's the number one concern, honestly. Every so often, yeah, I have families that say, well, price isn't the concern. I want them to have someone... Guiding them through the process, making sure that we're finding the right school, et cetera. But even the wealthiest families, even if you have the money, who wants to pay for it if they don't have to? So again, a lot of what I do is strategy. I don't want to get too into the nitty gritty because it's, you know, yeah. it's <laughs> the process I'll just say, but there are schools that they'll tell you the way they give out their money. There are some schools that say, I don't care if you're valedictorian. We're only giving our money to families that have a strong financial need but some of these people don't know that. So they go through life thinking my kid has done everything right. They're a valedictorian. They're going to get scholarships. And it just depends on the schools you're applying to. So yeah, in that case, I think, sorry, got a little on a rant already, but um, yeah. I think it was how much is cost the motivating factor. And I would say mm-hmm. it's generally the number one motivating factor, figuring out the affordability piece of all of this craziness.
0: It sounds like because of the different ways schools do their pricing, one thing that kind of always boggles my mind, whenever I think about higher education is just how much pricing there works differently than anywhere else in the world? Like for example, you go and buy a new Subaru and the car is $32,000. They don't ask you for how well you did on your driver's exam. Say, oh, you passed your driver's exam the first time. You're going to get a half off the price of the car. Oh no, you hit three cones. We're going to sell it to you for 60,000. Like everywhere else you go, it's pretty much just one price, but in the higher education world, it works so different. And so- It ends up being that different schools are the right fit for different people based on how they communicate their values through whatever they choose to use to determine how much they're going to charge each student.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Sometimes as advisors equate it to kind of like a, a flight, the varying amount of prices someone paid to be on that flight, whether they're in the affiliates program and they got that, or they had some points or they're in first class or business class or whatever, you know, they bought it on this day versus this day. I mean, it's one plane, it's going to the same place. The seats in each section, at least are all the same, yeah. but they're paying, everyone's paying basically a different price. And that's, yeah, how it is in the college world too. I mean, so many different things can factor into how much a family pays for college. And that makes it really frustrating too, because there's not a lot of transparency there. You see the sticker price up front. Hopefully at this point, people do understand like almost no one's paying that. Some people, but they have this really scary sticker price. But then, yeah, there's so much that goes into what they're actually going to pay. And it's hard to predict. And it's hard because there's not transparency. It's a very daunting, frustrating process
0: sounds really daunting, especially given how big of an expense it is. And I do stand corrected airplanes and the entire travel industry seems to have that same problem with variant prices and lack of transparency. Why does Expedia and Travelocity even charge a different amount for a hotel room versus going right onto the hotel's website? All that stuff makes very little sense to me, I guess. But one other question I also wonder is when people, especially parents, are talking about how much they're going to spend on their child's education How much does the expected outcome of that education, because people say, okay, it's going to set me up for my career or my job, whatever, how much does that factor into it where someone says, okay, I spent a hundred thousand on this education. This one's 200,000, but it's a way better value because of what it's, So people do assign different values to different educations.
1: Yeah, there's definitely, I, I think some, again, value systems and personal thoughts and biases that go into this answer for me, I have looked for the data and to me, I can't find it. Maybe it's out there. Maybe someone will message you and correct me. I try because again, I want families to find affordable options. The data we find, I find, and still does at this point in our system show that having a higher ed degree, whether that's a bachelor's or master's still over time and on average makes people more money. Mm -hmm. Okay. At this point, it seems like it's almost like a checkbox, meaning, yeah, maybe your Ivy leagues, because we all know they're in a world of their own and they have connections is really more almost what you're paying for that network, that connections, all of that. But basically level from there, there seems to be no concrete data that says you went to a top 10 university, a top 50 university versus the top two hundred one. one there's no idea that proves it. So I always say my ideal client is not someone that comes to me and says, I want to go to Princeton and Stanford and Hartford, help me. And like, that's not what I do. It's the opposite of like, let me find a good school affordable. I fit all of that stuff because of that reason. I think it's ridiculous. Honestly, I think it's ridiculous that people want to pay $80,000 a year just because they know the name of the school. There's no direct correlation to that. The higher price is really better quality education.
0: So you oftentimes advocate that there are some other schools, other options out there that are way more affordable that could potentially produce a similar life outcome over time. Because I know sometime around five or 10 years into your career, it seemed to me like it becomes more important what you've done in your career thus far than what school your degree is from. They still seem to care that you got a bachelor's level, master's level, PhD level in a certain field, a certificate, master of science or whatever. But at some point it becomes more about, okay, yeah, but who did you work with? What are your main accomplishments and what's your potential?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely more of what you do than where you go. If you're going to any college, you should be doing all the things that you kind of do in your job too, right? Making those valuable connections, uh, learning about yourself, learning about other people's experiences, any type of opportunities you have, connection with your professors, internships, co-ops, any of that stuff you should be doing at any school you go to. So again, that's why is one school better for another. If you are taking the initiative and you want question, I mean, the student creating opportunities for yourself and figuring out—it's the same as high schools across America, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. a whole other tangent that I won't get into too much. Yes, there are some schools that need a lot of help and that are struggling. Our education system—we have issues there, but a lot of the schools across the country—you can have students that go there. And go off to college, you have students that don't graduate. It, the school is the same. It's the student and their, again, qualities and what they're choosing to do and how they're going through the system. Again, I do want to, like, disclaimer, I know there's some places that students don't have the resources and all of that. I'm just saying at a lot yeah. of places, it's what you do that matters, not where you go.
0: Every single place, every single situation provides a certain level of opportunities, and they're not equal, but also there's ways to rise above terrible places and there's ways to squander being in a great place. Someone could go to the top high school in their country or whatever and still manage to flunk out of classes if you don't do the work. That happens quite a bit. One other question I'm wondering is that you said you usually start working with people around the sophomore year level, 10th grade. And sometimes people at that age don't exactly know what they want to do yet. How often does that complicate planning if someone's trying to decide between two or three majors and you're looking for the right program for them?
1: Yeah. So the goal I always say is we want to get them on the right path. Ongoing and undecided isn't bad at all. But again, I'm big on the affordability piece. So any extra time spent in school where maybe you're figuring your major out, changing majors, transferring schools, all of that, to me, I just see dollar signs. So, none mm-hmm. of the, you know, I get it. What 15, 16, 17 year old really knows what they want? I mean, most don't, or they say they do, and they don't really know. It goes <laughs> into it for sure. We want good programs. We want all of that for our students. However, I feel like the major and academic program is more somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Some people do it. It's the first thing. If, you know, we're pounding, where are the schools that have the best biology programs? And I get it. Mm-hmm. But I would be like, again, I want to find them a school that fosters growth in a lot of ways outside of the classroom too, where they can grow and learn about themselves and develop as a human being. That's first the institution and the culture and affordability and all of that. And then majors go into it also. I would say, would they still be at that school if it wasn't one of the top programs? Or would they still be happy there if they did change their major to something else? So that makes sense. A little give and take where, of course, we're paying attention to what they want to pursue and academics, but there's so much more that college is there for than just that set academic program, study abroad opportunities. And again, meeting people that are different than you and connections. So it's in. And then you said, you know, as a sophomore, yeah, that's much more common that they don't have, or they can mm-hmm. have, idea, but they're not very certain. And I think that's fun. I love getting to chat with the kid about opportunities. Do you even know this job exists? Oh, you say you like engineering. Do you know how many types of engineering there are? Like, why are you even saying that? <laughs> engineering's yep. a big thing right now. They know that STEM is a hot field. They know it's going to make them good money, but they can't tell me the difference between chemical, mechanical, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I like getting to counsel them. I like trying to, in a non-COVID world have them do job shadowing. I try to reach out to my network. And so that part's fun for me. And hopefully by the time they go to apply to college versus senior year, we have kind of at least narrowed that down where we're kind of setting them up for, for a path of, of
0: success. And does any of this represent kind of a paradigm shift? And one of the reasons I asked this question is because growing up, I remember hearing the question, what do you want to be when you grow up over and over again? And now we have the adult version, what do you do? Which I always try to find the most obnoxious answer to. Sometimes I'll say like, I try to do everything. I'm open to everything or something like that. But that seems like when you ask a, say, 10, 12-year-old earlier in their lives as they're kind of starting to feel the first impacts of adulthood and you start saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Sometimes that might ingrain that question to their head of the mindset of, I want to be an engineer and I need to find the engineering school as opposed to more the mindset that you're talking about, is that a paradigm shift that's actually happening? Or is that something you're spearheading? Is that something you're seeing?
1: Yeah, this part's hard for me. Because again, I have to in my field, be a good mix, I have my personal views on a lot of things and what I value. And then I also have to meet families where they are and what they value and what they want. It is hard, because I think I see still a good mix of students that have already it seems like yeah since they were born, their dad's a doctor, they want to be a doctor, they're going hard for that. And then there are, I feel like some people that are still trying to figure it out. So I don't know that there's so much a shift. What I notice more is the trends of what kind of fields. I almost never meet a student anymore that wants to go into, you know, the English or the histories or liberal arts colleges even, or, you know, sometimes a little tough sell, if you will, Mm -hmm. definitely really common right now or anything STEM related business. Students love the idea of doing their own thing, owning their own practice. So there's a shift, I feel like, more in fields, I think, kids are still kids at the core, where some of them have a very set, ambitious idea of what they want to be. And some are like, I don't know, I'm somewhere here in the middle. So it's a little healthy mix, I'd say.
0: That's interesting. And what I'm hearing, and what you're saying is that people seem to be choosing more fields that have a more lucrative career path. Are they kind of just shying away from all these other majors that may be really interesting, but what's the job or what's the enterprise? What are you going to build? What are you going to get from that as opposed to science, technology, engineering, and math? I think that's what STEM stands for. Seems like it's always going to produce some sort of a path, some sort of a job or an enterprise.
1: Mm Yeah, 100%. And I guess that that is a good thing that they're already thinking, well, what's later? What's the job? What's the money? Um, I don't know all the way where it stems from exactly. I mean, I remember wanting to be a teacher for so long, and that's what I did before this. I mean, I didn't even grow up with a lot of money. So I guess maybe that's what it is. But you would think almost in my head, I would think, well, I want to make more money than my parents are (laughs) making. I want to like, and I didn't. I was just like, I like my teachers. I like this. This is what I want to be. No one wants to be a teacher anymore. I've noticed that it is very uncommon that a student wants to be a teacher. And that's just one example. And it is amazing to me. I don't want to throw stats out there, but my estimate stat would be a solid like eight out of 10 students. Some top like three to five priority is income. And the amount of money they'll make. Wow. Maybe it was just a naive tiny teenager, but I don't think that would have been in my top ten making money. I mean, I don't know. I think I assumed like a job. You have a career. You're making money. <laughs> like, yeah. <I> <laughs> now I'm being very aware, like there are fields that will never make you money, and there are fields that will. And even if I don't love them as much, even if they're hard or whatever it is, I'm going hard in that direction.
0: Yeah, I love to observe generational shifts, and one of the things I oftentimes wonder is kind of the response to things. Mm-hmm. I often tell people that. I responded to my baby boomer parents' generation working 70, 80 hours a week and still being kind of thrown around by their companies like chess pieces on a board game and thought to myself, okay, I really don't want that. And that's kind of what I feel like almost all the millennial experience is. We all said, we don't want that 70, 80 hours a week. That's not a virtue. They ignored other parts of their lives and we want something different. And I'm wondering if this new generation is now observing a lot of people Pick majors that, okay, now we're drowning in $120,000 in student loan debt for a job that's not really going to materialize because the world only needs five museum curators on a certain specific topic, and we need to avoid that trap.
1: Yeah, I definitely think they're learning from our generation of, I know too, it seems right now, not all, again, I'm obviously speaking generalizations, but I noticed a lot of times the parents do seem to care more about the name of the school, the reputation of the school than the students. Hmm. A lot of say, it's incredible, honestly. So many of them say, I don't really care. I don't want to go into debt. Even if their parents are offering to pay for it, when I talk with the students one-on-one, they'll often say things like, I don't want them to pay for this. I don't, why? And I think they've probably heard our generation or on the news, whatever it is, complaining about still being drowning in student loan debt, that it's a crisis, that all these things that they're thinking, whoa, 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 not for me. What's an alternate route? What else can I do? Fine, I'll go to college, but pick the cheapest option. I'll get in, I'll get out, move on with my life, start making that money. I'm not doing what that generation did. I think it's fearful. They're fearful of
0: it. It's a natural inclination to look at what the people who came before you did. What seemed to go wrong. And I'm not trying to diminish anyone that came before. Like the baby boomers solved some major problems, and the world was far poorer. Before the baby boomers found ways to make all of our work more efficient, the world was a lot poorer. Even those of us that go out to eat two, three times a week, that's something that our baby boomer parents oftentimes did not have the resources and the money and the luxury to do. So I want to pay respect to all that. But oftentimes, what we do, and I think I like the way the linguist Steven Pinker puts it when he says, we take our problems and we solve them and create better problems. He'll often cite the obesity epidemic as being a better problem than people starving to death, yet it's still a problem. We're kind of looking at these problems and solving it. What I'm wondering also is, are today's teenagers more interested in some other kind of even more off the wall alternative paths, such as galvanized general assembly, these boot camps that people go through? or startups and entrepreneurships and go straight into apprenticeships. I actually worked with a couple of years ago, someone who was 23 years old and already on the verge of becoming a senior developer because he just taught himself coding and went right out of high school at 18.
1: Yeah, I definitely see it. Sometimes that's more my personal observations or if I am in touch with my former students, because of course what I'm doing, the students that are coming to me for that are taking the quote unquote traditional route still. But I still hear them talking about it, right? Maybe they're going to college for a business degree, but already they're like, "I'm not working for anyone else. I want to do this myself. Whatever it is one day I want to own a business." Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. what you said. They love the idea of being their an entrepreneur. They love the idea of flexible work life. They love the idea of minimizing education. I do a lot of networking with people and just talk about this, education and teens and whatever. and And then there's service out there that less and less people are seeing the value in a college degree. And while that, like, you know, obviously in my head, I'm like, well, will I have a job one day still. I am <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's for everyone. I think we've all been kind of saying that for a while. It almost seems like we were saying it for a little while now, but maybe not believing it. Like you want to believe it, but you still, if your kid came to you and said, I don't want to go to college, you'd be like... Not yeah. You, yeah. But you need to. <laughs> uh Whereas now, I think I just saw a survey the other day again. I hate like misquoting stats, and I could find it for you, but it was something around fifty-one forty-nine split of parents wanting their kid to go directly to college. Now, it didn't say never. It did like mm-hmm. the article expanding on potentially a gap year or trying to work first. See, do you really like this field before we drop that money? Which I think is so I'm all for a gap years. Again, I do still think there's a lot of value in a college degree if done the right way. <laughs> but yes, these programs that are shorter, a year, whatever, 16 months that you pay for it, you dedicate your training, and then you work. Sometimes you can't beat it. And sometimes school's not for everyone. And sitting in a class, I-, I love English. I was an English teacher. I'm here for it. But I get it that some people do they have to go and sit in that year long English class if they're never in their life again, going to write a 20 page paper. We <laughs> have to assess, but then their skills, right? You can argue the skills that are behind that of researching and learning and doing things that you aren't motivated to do and figuring out those kind of qualities you're developing. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I love that people can have options. I love that it's becoming more common. Go to community college, shave. That money, get some kind of associate's degree, some kind of certification. If it works, it works.
0: And one of the biggest takeaways I've gotten so far from this conversation is that we're starting to think a little bit more holistically in the idea of what's the path ahead of me? What does it look like as opposed to what interests me the most? I feel like the traditional ways people would say, What interests me most? I'm interested in this. I'm interested in that. I'm going to pursue it as a career path where now people are talking a bit more about apprenticeships and things like that, where people say, okay, what does it mean to me for to be sitting in this chair? Do I want to spend four years studying and and then four more years working up to sit in this chair? What does that mean as opposed to, oh, this interests me, I'm just going to pursue it. One other thing I want to cover before we finish up today is your story about starting Cardinal College Planning. Now, you said you were originally a teacher. What made you decide that this was the need that you wanted to fill?
1: Yeah, I was a high school teacher. So I was right in the thick of it. And I taught English. So it was very common to get close to students, and I was their go-to resource for their college essays. And this could be a super long story, so I'll just shorten it. It just spiraled. It went from essays to help me with my applications. Ms. Johnson, will you look at my, you know, scholarship application, this and that. And then I just started realizing, oh my goodness, these kids have no help. It's not their parents' fault. Again, whether their parents mm-hmm. didn't go or or they did and it's different or they're busy or whatever it is, there's that. And we had a counselor and it's no, nothing bad to her. She's my friend, but she was dealing with, you know, over 400 kids on average. It's hard to give that personalized attention. Mm -hmm. We're seeing our students applying to the same few schools doing it the exact same way, applying now, figuring out how am I going to pay for it later? It's just a mess. And that's what's happening at many schools. So yeah, I just realized, you know, we had some really bright kids. So I worked at a really interesting school that was a lot of first gen and low income, but they were definitely college bound material, all this stuff. And, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt literally just thinking they could have so many opportunities and they just don't even know what's out there for them. And that they were setting themselves up for this debt, unfortunately, because they were first gen. And I did that too. I'm first gen. Both my parents are high school dropouts. And I saw the cycle again where I did the same. I signed up for all this debt because I was like, I just need to go. People had conditioned you. You just need to go and you'll figure it out. They were doing it 10 years later. I saw it and I realized that I could do it independently and get even more personalized with students that I had. And I also do a lot of volunteering. I go into programs that need these resources, schools that they need them, um, give a lot of free workshops, presentations because I'm biased. I know. Yep. But I think everyone needs this help. It literally impacts the rest of your life. That's not an exaggeration. And then the expense, I mean, it's next to like homes and what, maybe your retirement, it literally Mm -hmm. is one of the most expensive purchases. It's more than cars, it's years. So I just can't believe that there's not more people seeking that personalized advice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I just realized that was something that I felt very passionate about and I went for it.
0: (laughs) So first thing I want to ask you is how long was it from the first time one of your students asked you to help out with college essays or reached out to you for questions like that? And the moment where you had made all these other observations and something clicked in your head saying, I'm going to start this Cardinal College Planning Services so that I can help more people and get more people to the right place.
1: Wow. Good question. I don't think I've ever asked that how long. I would say, so I taught for seven years. I would say in the first probably few years that I was already helping with the essays. And then I think a few years in, when I had been doing that, then for a couple of years, I realized what was going on. I actually went to my principal, very triggered and said, you know, we're not, we're just servicing these kids. And he's like, well, Taniko, Mm -hmm. what do you do? You're all triggered about what's the solution? I said, I don't know. Can we make a class? Can we teach them?" He said, okay, like, let's do an elective. I said, okay, cool. In the most humble way, so many kids signed up for it that we just made it a class. We required every junior to take this college planning course that I taught at the school. And then I did that for about two years. And in that time was when I was like, oh my gosh, I'm fire, right? I thought I knew a good chunk of it, I'll be honest, but I was ignorant to how much more unwritten rules there are and things that they won't tell families and weird stuff that goes on there in the processes that are hidden and secretive. So in those two years, I really, really kind of figured it out and then wanted to go independent. So I mean, it was probably a four years or so that I was kind of figuring it out before I went independent.
0: One thing that I oftentimes hear in these stories about people pursuing, whatever it is that they're called to pursue is that oftentimes it changes forms over time for you initially it took on the form of this class within your high school and then you decided it needs to go independent because and actually the class seemed like a very important step on that because it showed you a little bit more of like the full extent of the problem that you were observing it wasn't just okay we're telling these kids to go to the same three schools or we're not really helping them consider what is it that I really want and what's the best value but There's all sorts of other, I don't want to say layers of, but all this other stuff that going on in the process, when you decided to take this leap and go independent, start your own service, what kind of feedback did you get from the people around you, the people closest to you, and even yourself?
1: (laughs) Lovely support because I think I've always been kind of a go-getter. So the people in my life weren't super shocked that this is something I would try to do. I did also move though. I packed up my one car and moved from Cleveland to Colorado. That I think was a little more shocking for people that they were like, oh, mm. you're also just leaving and starting. It felt like I was literally like yeah. starting life over. So I think that was a little like, is she going through a midlife crisis? What are- <laughs> <laughs> but mostly support from others. In fact, I would say I doubted myself the most because I knew everything I was sacrificing and maybe potentially losing. And I know that I didn't go to college for any kind of business degree period. So I really, the business side, no idea what I was doing. But again, just a lot of support and mostly good stuff. Mostly a lot of love, a lot of support from myself, a lot of fear. (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of doubt. But I think that's normal. And I think working on those kind of things have helped me the most of just working on my confidence and understanding that the value that I think that I bring and remembering all of that has been super helpful.
0: Definitely. And what did you do when you had this fear inside your head? Because I think almost everyone that desires to start something on their own encounters this some form of fear slash imposter syndrome, which really comes from the same source. What did you do to quell this to make sure that you weren't going to turn around halfway through Iowa and go back to your old life?
1: I think for me, it was a combo of things though. For me personally, I knew that my heart was not fully in teaching anymore. I'd known that for a few years. I loved, loved, loved my students. The kids were amazing, but there was just other things in the school system that just weren't for me. I had been struggling for a little while anyway, so that made it a lot easier. I did love it, but I wasn't leaving one thing I had thought I wanted. Well, I did at some point that I'd want to do that forever, but at that point I knew in my heart, it just wasn't for me. So that made it the easiest, I think. Maybe what I was pursuing next wasn't going to work out, wasn't going to be forever, but it was worth trying. And something that I knew that my heart and soul wasn't into anymore. I'm very open-minded. And again, I think I had pretty good intuition of feeling like I think I'm qualified to do this. I love learning. I work well with students. You know, I just kind of did do a, I guess, value assessment. The only real doubts were kind of the imposter syndrome. Well, this is new. It's sometimes still to say the words that I'm a business owner is like, (laughs) yeah, yes, I am. To me, I'm just like Tanika helping people with college. But no, I own a business. I own Cardinal Mm College Planning. But I have done business coaching. I love any kind of self-development. So COVID actually helped a lot for me that people were putting on a ton of free webinars and workshops that were so easy to log into from my home. I didn't have to go anywhere. Often I didn't have to pay. I love learning. And I knew that about myself, that I wasn't going to quit. I was going to keep learning. I was going to figure it out. I kind of gave myself like the no other option thing. (laughs) And I guess I always fall back on teaching. I kind of just told myself that this is what what I'm doing. I'm going to put everything I have into it. If it doesn't work out, I'll figure out the next thing. But for now, we're going to make it work out.
0: Nice. And what would you say to anyone that is in the process of making transition taking that leap and gets that sudden feeling in their head oh my god what am i doing do i really have any business starting a business is, is that really me i should just kind of go back to what i have while i can still get it back
1: I would say having those thoughts is so normal. And I think also that makes anyone that has those thoughts a pretty logical person. I'm not saying if you don't have those thoughts, it's not a good idea. But for me, those other people that think it's so easy or that, oh, I'm just going to do this, no problem. That to me is almost scary. And those people that are having all those the doubts, myself included, it's because I knew it was going to be hard. It's because I knew I had a lot on my place. I was going to have to figure a lot of things out. I knew I was going to have to spend money that I didn't really want to spend. And that is all scary. So I would say to those people, I mean, those are very normal thoughts.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and it's Almost like if you don't have those thoughts, I'd be a little scared. or like, you're really ballsy. You just think like, let's <laughs> just go. All the thoughts, I think everyone that's done it has had and would reflect on their experiences. Remember when I was scared to do this and I'm doing great at that. But there's always going to be a new thing anyways, all the time. There's new things that I'm now I'm not scared of that other thing I started doing. Yeah, I feel yeah. great. But, but now here I'm on podcast and that's scary. You know, <laughs> like all yeah. the things. So it's always going to be there. I think it's just, you got to have that mindset that it's okay. You're going to have those days where it's hard and you doubt stuff. I think focusing on the good, focusing on how far you've come, checking in, reflecting on goals, all of those kind of things that are ingrained in us, even from school age are really helpful.
0: There's so many opportunities everywhere in life to get yourself more accustomed to the idea of overcoming something scary or the idea of being scared by something and doing it. In Colorado, we have skiing and we have mountain biking. We have all sorts of things like that. And so that leads me to the final question I wanted to ask you, which was your leap of faith involved also a move in location. What role did the location move play? Was that something that you had wanted to do for other reasons? Or did you feel like to have that clean start to really start like your new self had to involve a different spot?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Wow. For me, I lived in Cleveland my whole life and I do love it. I know Cleveland gets a lot of hate. But yeah. I do love it. <laughs> I think it is a lot of wonderful things. And of course my loved ones are there, but I had thought at some point in my life, I want to live somewhere else. I want to, that's a challenge in itself. So I had one that anyways, doing it all at once. I don't know in hindsight, if that was great to start a new business where you don't know anyone, because a lot of times, <laughs> your first client, yeah. you know, or your network and you can kind of put the word out, Hey, I'm doing this new adventure, but I didn't know anyone. So in hindsight, I don't know about that. And then yeah, Colorado specifically, I'd visited a couple of times and I'm sure most people can relate. You know, I fell in love. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. The sunshine compared to gray skies in Cleveland needed. So I wasn't intentionally just jumping ship and saying like, oh, I need to start everything over. It just all kind of happened at the right time. I had two friends out here in Colorado and it just seemed kind of like the right next move for me.
0: Oh, that makes perfect sense. And Finally, for anyone that is interested in hearing about your services, whether you're a teenager listening, or if you're the parent of a teenager, it's cardinalcollegeplanning.com. Is that correct? Or is there a better way to get a hold of you?
1: Nope, that's right. And then on any social media, just at Cardinal College Planning too.
0: Excellent. Well, Tanika, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your story about observing a need and following it and allowing that follow to take a couple of different iterations. And then- taking that leap and believing in yourself and getting to the place where you want to be, even if that means suddenly finding yourself as a business owner when you had originally expected to be a teacher. And really appreciated all your insights on Gen Z, on what kind of the younger generation is thinking, feeling, and desiring out of their lives.
1: Awesome. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you very much. And everyone else, thank you for listening and stay tuned to Actions Antidotes for more inspiring stories from people who overcome that fear, that hesitancy, and find themselves in a place that's a better fit for themselves. Until next time, thank you for listening.